And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast. It's Tuesday morning. And when you get to be joined by a Hall of Famer, a living legend, a former Providence point guard who was not averse to some sharp elbows in traffic before she broke the school's record in assists, it's a good day. We're going to go around the NBA with the one and only Doris Burke. How are you, Doris? Good morning, Zach. Doing exceptionally well. Thank you. Really, exceptionally really well. well. Well, now you you are, you know, the, everyone now gets to see you with Doc and Breen on mm-hmm. the on the number one team. Are you enjoying the new the new gig? You did Bucks Bucks uh, Celtics, which was maybe the most anticipated game of the year last Wednesday. Did you enjoy? Are you enjoying life? Oh my gosh, yes. I've got two incredible men and, uh, you know, Mike Breen is the master at, at the position and Doc is just so personable and fun. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously we're figuring one another out, but it's it's been a ball. Well, it's always a ball to listen to you talk about uh, NBA basketball and we're going to do that now. I said I'm going to have like five big questions for you and then we're just going to cook. Are you ready for question number one? I am. I am. Question number one to the Hall of Famer, Doris Burke. Who is the second best team in the Eastern Conference? Which, of course, presumes that you agree with me that the best team so far in the Eastern Conference at the quarter pole is the Boston Celtics, who are my pick to win the title. If you don't agree, you can say so. If you do agree, give me your number two team, and then you can cook, and I'll give you mine. Okay, so uh, so you had obviously given me a heads up on this, and, uh, and I did presume Boston uh, won. And I also presume, despite Orlando sitting in that second position, um, that long term, this was a debate between Philly and Milwaukee, obviously. And it's so funny, Zach, because um, despite the fact that I had watched Philadelphia hang 138 last night in the Lakers, Joel gets that triple double in 31 minutes. And despite everything I saw last week when I had Milwaukee, I literally went to bed thinking I'm going to make the case for Milwaukee. And, and it sort of stunned me because when you look at everything, when you look at net rating, offense, defense, et cetera, et cetera, Philadelphia's numbers are better. They're better across the board, right? Um, second net, second offense, 10th defense. I didn't look this morning. So if I'm off on those, whatever. <clears throat> and Maxie and Joel last night, both go for 30 fourth time this year. They've done it. Um, I feel like Philly and Milwaukee both have some things defensively they could work out. And then I woke up this morning and I said, no, I don't think I'm choosing Milwaukee. I think I'm choosing Philly. And I can't believe I'm saying this because I, I guess I believe ultimately, Zach, that Milwaukee and Philly will be in the conference semifinal. And that automatically means it'll be Nick Nurse against his, you know, former assistant coach, Adrian. And I think I'm colored by what I saw last week in Boston, which was Boston scores off the tip. Um, Beat them like a drum in transition. I look at the contest rates of Milwaukee at the rim and um, it's absolutely jarring to watch them defensively, knowing their history. and all the success they had under Mike Wodenholzer. And so I feel like as it stands right now, I pick Philadelphia. And I think it's going to be a really tight deal ultimately. Um, 
And I say that despite the fact that Dane, how, how about Dane? And these guys haven't figured everything out. But Damien in the clutch, number one, 56 points. He's 13 for 25, five assists, zero turnovers, okay? Guy's been absolutely brilliant. Obviously, defensive issues, obviously, shooting percentage has not been great. But Dame has been everything they expected him to be in games when it's come down to the wire and they've needed him to make plays. Um, I believe number two in clutch points is uh, 45 points. It might be LeBron, actually, but it, it, there's a large gap between Dame and whoever yeah. number two is. And Dame is also 25 of 26 from the line in the last five minutes of close games. Please continue. I'm enjoying this window. Into, I'm getting the full train of thought, the sleeplessness, the, yeah. the ruminating on, is it Sixers? Is it Bucks? What did I see last night? What, I, I'm enjoying the whole process. Keep going. Yeah. And listen, there's so much more to be discovered with both of these teams. One of the things I'm most intrigued at, and I wrote this quote down so that when I, I covered Milwaukee, I had this. And I don't remember exactly because normally I date the quotes I write down. But, but this is what Giannis said, Zach, about not having the ball late. I'll be honest with you. I'm not used to it. At the end of the day, like through all new things we are doing with this team and me not being in my comfort zone, I believe I'm going to be able to be the best version of myself. And I'm assuming he would have added when it matters most. But trying to be out of my comfort zone as much as possible now so that later I can be the best version and, and then it goes on to say that Damien takes a ton of pressure off of him and I think ultimately two things lead me to lean a little more heavily into Philadelphia and that would be if it were in a seven game series just the inexperience of Adrian and, and he's got 82 games to build that experience and obviously has won a championship and had significant roles um I just, I, I guess, and you know that Jeff, I don't know whether this is a Jeff Andundiism or whether he just used this a lot, but like it get, it's getting, it gets late early, right? It gets late early. I never really, just that's just like the Yogi Berra thing where I only half understand what that means. Okay, well, my point is like we, my original leaning toward Milwaukee was experience, championship. Um, they'll get there defensively, you know, Dame's going to become more efficient. That pick and roll is going to increasingly become more and more difficult. Um, Pat Connaughton will start to make shots, et cetera, et cetera. I, I just, I ultimately was leaning them and now I'm leaning Philly and I'm sort of waffling as I lean. I don't know. This is close and it's hard. I just know that Philly has got great depth. I know that Nick Nurse has raved to me about Nicholas Batum. He seems rejuvenated. Um yeah, I don't know. Where where do you come down on this argument? Doris, free yourself of the angst and the anxiety <laughs> and just let it ride. Just let it ride. Just say Philadelphia. You're currently in the Philadelphia area. You want to say it. Just say it. I'll say it for you. The answer is the Philadelphia 76ers. And I was surprised how little... I really hesitated as much respect as I have for the two-time MVP and one of the greatest crunch time players in the history of the modern NBA and Damian Lillard. And that's what he is. Like, there's no question about that. Um, I just haven't loved the Milwaukee Bucks experience to date under Adrian Griffin. They are 12 and five. They've had an easy schedule and they are wildly outperforming their 
just overall quality of play and their point differential because of the fact that they've won damn near every close game, which you can say is proof of concept for the whole thing of Damian Lillard and Giannis together. You know what I would like to see as proof of concept? Here's what I would like to see. And this is what I saw when they had to rally with a full-throated postseason urgent effort to beat the Portland Trailblazers in Milwaukee the other night. Coming back from 26 down, I believe. Embarrassing. I don't even care that they won the game. There was a possession when Giannis was on the floor, Dame was on the floor, and either Brooke Lopez or Bobby Portis was on the floor. The other two Milwaukee players on the floor were Malik Beasley and Thanasis Atentacumpo, who is just inexplicably playing actual NBA minutes. And the Milwaukee Bucks on a possession in the second half, and maybe it was the third, I don't know, it was some part of the game. When they're just dialed in, we got to come back. They decide with that alignment of players, the best thing for us to do right now with the ball is the Malik Beasley, Thanasis Atentacumpo pick and roll. Like, that's the two-man game. Let's run that. And there's been just way too much of, like, what are we doing here? And not enough of, and this has been written ad nauseum. I've been saying it since, like, the first game of the season. The Dame Giannis pick and roll, this was, like, it, we didn't make this up as the reason this trade made so much sense. The Bucks talked about it from day one. This is going to be the two-man game. This is going to be the staple of our offense. As many have written now, they're running 19 per 100 possessions. That's the third most pick-and-roll frequency on the team behind Dame Lopez and Dame Portis. It's not even close to enough. The uh, inverted pick-and-roll, which I expected to be a weapon, Giannis and Dame is the screener, four. The entire season, four. Wow. And... Uh, on the other hand, the Giannis Pat Connaughton pick and roll, that's like their fourth most used combination. And the numbers, they're scoring like 1.4 points per possession when they mm-hmm. run that. It's just, I, I don't really know. I mean, they're seventh on offense despite this and 20th on defense. The defense is starting to normalize after the, um, po- I would call it a polite mutiny that occurred when the players decided we know we're not the Raptors. We don't want to play like the Raptors. Can we just play like, the Bucks because the Bucks are awesome on defense. That's all beginning to normalize. They're not fouling. They're getting defensive rebounds. They're now top 10 in defensive rebounding. They are allowing the fifth fewest shots at the rim and a ton of mid-range jumpers. Like they're starting to defend like the Bucks again. But just between the sort of haze of it, and and you can see Dame is feeling it out. Like Dame doesn't doesn't look quite like Dame yet in in the in the run of the game. He's only shooting 30% on 33% on threes so far. He's getting to the line a ton. That'll come. Like, I'm not worried about Dame. I'm not even the two-man game, I think, will come. But between the the sort of just scattershot way that it feels on both ends of the floor, and just like Crowder's hurt and Middleton's hurt again, which is like a, a huge area of concern. The supporting cast is just like so underwhelming. And I want to see it when they get those guys back. I want to see more Beauchamp because I think, you know, he's shooting 40% on threes and defensively he brings a zest that they need. And Andre Jackson Jr. brings that defensively, but no one's going to guard him on offense. But I, I really would like to see what he can do. Can I just I, interject there? You, no, no. Go, that, so I've I, now I've made the anti-Milwaukee case. Well, it's the point I made on the air with Beth Mullins the night we had the Milwaukee-Boston game. And I said, Jackson and, and Beauchamp, you know, I don't know how fast they can develop, but long, athletic, lively, young. There's a 
there's a juice that they bring that it feels like this team needs. And again, you know, you've got a window of time to get them ready and you've got a first year head coach and are you comfortable? You've got to win enough games to stay attached in the standings. Um, but I love both guys. And I said that to Beth, I'm like, no, I now know where they can be come the end of the season, because as you said, you know, Jackson's inability to be a, a threat on the offensive end, but I, I love both men potentially and what they bring. And you're right, Beauchamp is shooting it really, really well. I have the same concern. Chris Middleton has played 13 games. He's now out with the Achilles. He's averaging 19.8 minutes, Zach. That's the lowest since his rookie season where I think he was at 17. And you start to get concerned about where is he physically? Is he ever going to get back? If he's not back, what level does he get to? Where does he fit in the dynamic of the, you know, how much is the ball in his hands? There's just so much to be worked out that even though I went to bed thinking Milwaukee, I woke up talking Philly and still have my concerns about them. But I, I'm, I'm sorry I interrupted you. No, I'm no, just... no. Look, look. <clears throat> and if you tell me right now, if the basketball gods came to me and said, hey, the Bucs are going to win the championship this year, like I wouldn't be surprised. They were in. I had four inner circle contenders to start the season. Milwaukee, Boston, Phoenix, and Denver. And like, so I love the Bucs. And they will figure this they will figure a lot of this out, particularly the Dame Giannis part of it. Um, but there's just a lot to figure out. Like I, I even thought they'd play the the Giannis Portis Lopez big big group more this season because of the injury to Middleton because they traded two perimeter players for one in the Dame deal, and they really haven't done that. That group's played 12 possessions the entire season. Just that there's some some things like the defense are trending the right way. But I went with Philly. And I guess the simplest way to put it is I think the Maxi Embiid duo has been better than the Dame Giannis duo. And like Maxi's just a legitimate star. Like it, there's no question about it anymore. And you watched that Lakers game last night where they just blew the doors off the Lakers. How about that little dribble handoff action that they just tortured the Lakers with? When you know, Joel was doing the Chris Weber like through the legs pass. <laughs> to to Maxi coming around the screen and like Max yeah. Christie, God bless him, who's playing well for the Lakers, just yeah. couldn't figure out what the hell to do with it. And Maxi is shooting. It seems like he never misses a three. All the guys they got from the Clippers are actually helping their team. They have all these trade assets. Tobias Harris has been good. Melton has found his stride. They they just look like a more coherent team. They're now number one in net rating, tied with Boston after last night. Um, they are. Uh, second in offense, 10th in defense. They're plus seven per 100 possessions when Maxi is on the floor and Embiid is off the floor, which is to me, again, proof of concept that Maxi is absolutely legit. They'll get Ubre back soon. They just feel like a more coherent team. And if their top end two guys are as good or better as Milwaukee's top end two guys, I just think they're, they're a little bit better. Yeah, it's massive. And I, you know, Joel, 30, 11, and 11. You know, he's been challenged in all kinds of ways from Nick Nurse, in particular the passing, um, obviously at career numbers there. Uh, I just, and Maxi, it, it goes beyond his skill and scoring and all those things. You know, I'm a big body language. What's the vibe of the team, et cetera, et cetera. I just love everything about the way that guy plays and his investment in the people around him the way he's taken, um, you know, I'm going to attack every single chance I get, the level of aggression when they put those two on one side of the floor, like good luck checking that, you know, good luck. Um, the way he turns the corner, there's just, what what a, what a leap. 
Um, I, I did have a question for you because this is one thing I'm not necessarily dialed into as I, as I watch games. Uh, my son-in-law said something like Alex Caruso. I heard yesterday a perk say something about Alex Caruso and the Bucks. Uh, do either team, this Philly or Milwaukee, have the chance to make moves? And if you're Philadelphia and you're going to pick up a piece this season because you believe you've got a legit shot, Zach, you know, where do you go? Is it is it a wing, a ball handler? Um what what do, what do you think about that? Uh, the Bucks have traded just about everything that they can trade. This the the Sixers have a, a decent amount of stuff to trade, and I, I do think that they will, in searching for a player, prioritize. They just need someone else who's a reliable ball handler. Um, and is Caruso that guy? I mean, he's a weirdly as good as he is and as coveted as he is right now. And I love Alex Caruso. He's like a very, very, very low usage offensive player. He's kind of like a guard PJ Tucker at this point. Like I'd like him to do more offensively, but look, everybody wants Alex Caruso. The Sixers actually do have the assets to get him. I don't think the Bucks do. And honestly, Doris, mm. that's all I can say about the Bulls. I just can't even watch the Bulls anymore. It's, 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 it's difficult. It's not a fun experience. I think the Nets hit 45 threes against the Bulls the other night. They just didn't, they didn't miss. Um, on the Sixers, uh, I just, I'm just so impressed with Maxi and continue to be so impressed with Maxi. And look, I just, I, I, I think that they're a little bit better right now than Milwaukee. While we are here, yeah, can we at least have a little bit of an ode to the 12 and five Orlando magic who deserve at least like a nod. We don't, none of us think, I don't think that they're going to be a top three team in the East and certainly a top three, like championship finals right. threat in the East. But is there anything you would like to say while we are here about the Orlando magic who are currently 15th in offense, which for them is like first given that they have not been in the top <laughs> 20 Doris, they have not yeah. ranked 20th or better in 11 seasons straight in offense. So that's a party and third in defense and third. fifth in net rating. So I, give me a little love letter to the magic. Okay. So, so first and foremost, for a young group, there's a, there's an edge and a toughness to this group that I absolutely love. Um, and, and Jamal mostly, I think has talked about this in an Anscape article about coach sort of, of the year, 17 games in Jamal Mosley open and shut. No, no question about it. But he, he in the Anscape article was talking about sort of this is a group that plays for one another. No one is, you know, worried about this guy. You know, Apollo's player of the week in the East and his numbers are absolutely sensational. I love the jump he's made. He, you know, he goes, he's taking fewer threes, but he goes from under 30%, a shade under, to 43% from three. They they don't uh, obviously have enough shooting. Um but his efficiency only concerning number is his free throws or have gone from 73 to 65. There's just a cohesion, a toughness. You know, when you're a young team, if you know who you are and how you win, which is dominate the paint on both ends, guard your backside off. Uh, I, I love Cole Anthony and his, uh, his confidence. And I, the more they win, the more chances I get to see him in a post-game interview, which just is an absolute delight. Well, well, spoiler alert, you might get to hear him on the Low Post podcast later this week. And, <laughs> I've, and I've been primed for 
<laughs> just be ready for anything. Just be yeah. ready for just it could it could go in any direction. So Cole Anthony and the Met, let's make this happen, please. Let's nail this down. Yeah, I just I love the team and I love the progress. And and I know you've talked about their announced team in the past, how over the years of, you know, obviously lack of success, their broadcasts were entertaining, insightful and fun and all those things. And uh, it is it's just nice when a team that has not done a lot of winning is at 12 and five. And seven game win streak. And I don't care who was on the floor or not win over the Celtics dominant win over the Nuggets like, you know, legit progress and, oh, yeah. and exciting. Um, they've played well, the, they've played a, a decent schedule. And as I've said before, like there's nothing in the numbers in terms of like opponent shooting or anything that says their their defense is even a little bit fluky, like their defense is legit. Please so continue if you have more love letters. No, I, I'd like to know where you think ultimately they land in the standings in the East in your mind. Do you have, and I'm not saying like pinpointed exactly, but where do, where do you see them given a, given what you've seen to this point? Yeah, I think, you know, clearly we all, we both agree that the top three, at least in terms of regular season record, should be Boston, Milwaukee, Philly. So that leaves you three spots to avoid the play in. And just given that they, as, as fantastic as the Magic have been, they have not opened that much distance over New York, Cleveland, Miami, teams that have um, a little bit more pedigree than they do. I would say fifth to eighth, sixth to eighth is seems realistic, which, by the way, home run for the Magic, who when you ask executives and agents around the league, who are the most exciting teams to think about over like the next three to four year windows? Oklahoma City is the first name mentioned for obvious reasons. Orlando comes up all the time because they actually have some free agency appeal in terms of Florida and weather and like a history of getting at least in the door with people when they're good. And they have extra picks. They have all their own picks. They've got infinite salary cap space and they have two legit tentpole players at Bancaro in Bancaro and Wagner at, you know, the hardest and most important positions to fill on the wing and then the big forward spot. Can I give a little love letter to the magic? Please. So I've been watching almost all their recent games because it's gotten to the point where it's like, I got to figure out a little bit more carefully, like what's actually happening here. Cause they're doing this without Fultz and without Wendell Carter jr. And, and two John, starters, Jonathan Isaac, who I have loved and have ho- so hoped would stay healthy. Um, because I think you see some things. I mean, he's just like a pterodactyl in terms of the size and length and and the things he can do. Tatum but, you know, couldn't get away from him in that game. Yeah, I just think as a defensive stopper, like, look out. And he's such a good young guy and team-oriented and all those things. So you, you hope that young man can, can stay healthy. So continue your love letter. So the number one thing is people sort of generically, you know, they play so hard. They play hard. They try hard. Like, what does that mean? And some mm-hmm. of that means, like, everybody without exception plays defense. That goes for Bancaro and Wagner and everybody else. The stars play defense. Everybody plays defense. But what it also means is, like, they do everything fast and hard. And I mean, like, watch Jalen Suggs cut in the half court on offense. Watch him come to the ball. Watch him cut back door. Watch them set screens. It's, like, full blast all the time. And I think Suggs, more than any player on the team, aside from the coaching staff and Mosley, sets that tone of we're going to do everything hard and with full effort, speed, and it's going to hurt. Like, you're going to hurt 
when you've played against us. And you're going to have to really chase us hard. And eventually we're going to wear your asses down because we're going to be relentless about it. That's one thing. And some of like beyond Suggs and Cole Anthony, who we've mentioned, Goga Patadze and Mo Wagner are just absolutely killing it at backup center and now starting center. Goga has been promoted from third string to starter without Wendell Carter. And like, you're talking about a guy who two guys who have been out of NBA rotations for portions of, or in Goga's case, the majority of his career. Goga comes in the NBA for the Pacers stretch five. He's going to shoot threes, blah, blah, blah. Orlando has said, how about we go the other way and you just kick everyone's ass inside get every offensive rebound and just be big and tall defensively and active a plus for Goga and Mo Wagner. First of all, the fact that they play Joe Ingles and Mo Wagner together, and there's not a fight in every single game is a minor miracle. (laughs) Honestly, great theater. Every free throw rebound when Mo Wagner is in the game, like some, some people just sort of like they half, they don't go for it or particularly when they're on the offensive team so they don't have inside positioners going back. Mo Wagner is like playing rugby on every <laughs> single free throw. It's just it's like everyone is game seven of the finals and there's a minute left in the game. Yeah. And he's making shots. He's he's had like multiple 20-point games. Those, those guys plus Ingles Art. are the unsung heroes of what's going on in Orlando. This is yeah. going to be a legit good team. They're they're not they're going to fade down I think a little bit from 12 and 5, but they're not going anywhere. And they're a blast to watch. Like they just play so fast and with it's it's been fun. Um yeah. are you ready I, for question number I, two or do you want to say well, more? I just say one little follow-up because I think it's always like a, an underrated sign of like the vibe of the team. You're just talking about cutting, right? And when a team is willing to cut that hard, when they know that the ball is not coming to them, it opens up so much for the people around you. And again, it's just to me, it's it speaks to who they are and how they feel about one another and how hard they're playing for one another. And to your point about like offensive rebound, their first and second chance points and all those little things matter. Um, so, yeah, I'm ready for question two. All right. Well, they're, they're first in shots at the rim. They're first in free throw rate. They're top five in offensive rebounding. They have just embraced this identity of not only playing hard, but we're going to kick your butt at the basket. We're winning the most important real estate in the game on both ends of the floor. Question number two is the same. So question number one, second best team in the East, there was clearly going to be two choices and we both chose Philly. That's fine. Milwaukee will prove us wrong and we'll look like idiots and that'll be good. Um, (laughs) Same question for the West. Again, assuming despite some, bench struggles that ended last night when the ghosts of Clippers past just came back to destroy the Clippers. Reggie Jackson and DeAndre Jordan combining for 56 points in an NBA basketball game against the Clippers. For DeAndre Jordan and Reggie Jackson, who has really been up and down. I know we're going to hit Denver later. Uh, Just an incredible win. It's funny. Uh, Brian and Jim Jackson on that game last night in the first half, Brian says, I mean, Basically, this is a must-win game. And he didn't say it in that exact way. He's like, you can't lose this game. And that was in the first half. Oh, and but then, oh, but and the Clippers said, watch us. We can. <laughs> Reggie Jackson uh was absolutely brilliant. And maybe that pushes his confidence. I know we're gonna talk to them later. And I am so, very, uh, yeah, I'm assuming very, talking as, Denver. 
assuming Denver is still your choice as the number one team in the West, if not the league, um, despite the bench struggles. And again, Jamal Murray's out, Aaron Gordon and um, Jokic were out last night. So it's been a little bit of a skeleton crew. I'm not concerned about Denver too much. We'll talk about them. Who is your number two team in the West? And this is an, a question with at least three plausible choices. And if you're willing to be generous to some of the more sort of experienced and decorated teams in the league, maybe five or six. So I'm interested to see where you went. Well, I I, I want to make the case for Minnesota. Um and I know defensively Chris Finch is not as pleased over the last couple of games. Um, but fourth in net rating, second in defense, 13th in offense. Um, Anthony Edwards. I'm going to just take a little sidetrack here for one second. You know, at the start of the year, we we have our meeting production-wise. And one of the, the surprising things to me, Zach, in terms of ratings drivers, et cetera, et cetera, um, is obviously the the headliners. And LeBron James leads that group by a wide mile in terms of driving ratings. Step is second. And then there is a significant drop. And Anthony Edwards, to me, not only by skill and growth and confidence, but by personality, is somebody I think, if there's team success, could sort of capture the imagination of the sports fan, but in particular, the NBA fan, um, you know, he's career high points, career high assists, almost six rebounds a game, career high field goal percentage, three point percentage, um, free throw percentage, um, making five over five free throws on six attempts, 88%. Um, uh, the trio of he and cat and, and Rudy, their numbers finally, you know, look good together. Do they have enough shooting? You know, I don't know, right? Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards are going to have to shoot the three ball well when when the when the game matters. Um, I I I just love what I've seen from from Minnesota thus far, um, and that's. Without a guy, Kyle Anderson, who has typically been good, he's not yet played well. Um, Shake Milton, who they're counting on, has not played well yet. Um, I mean, it's hard not to say Phoenix, right? Um, it's hard. What are they on a seven-game win streak? Uh, and nobody ever plays. Not nobody. Devin Booker plays, and Kevin Durant usually plays, and Bradley yeah. Beal hasn't really played. But Bradley Beal hasn't. You know, you, you wonder about how much time Bradley Beal is out, how problematic that pack is. Do they ever get to that? Because when I watch their first two exhibitions, I'm like, oh, Phoenix is winning this thing. <laughs> like, I'm watching them put up 70-plus points in two exhibition games in the first half. Um, this is a hard one. So, so Minnesota, Phoenix – um who who else is on your mind in terms so of the the three that right now deserve yeah. like locked in consideration for this fake honor that we have made up yeah. you have named two of them in minnesota and phoenix the third minnesota plays tonight and actually has the third best net rating in the league and the best net rating among this group and that's oklahoma city oklahoma. if you yeah. want to go down out of respect lakers i thought we're playing well until last night 
you know, kings, warriors. I mean, we can get into some of the older new lions of the of the West. But to me, those three have stacked up head and shoulders above everybody else. I can tell you who I went with if you want, or do you want to do you, you haven't oh. made your pick. We're going full stream of consciousness with DB. I love it. Uh, I, I'm I'm going to just stick with Minnesota. I, I am. I, I and and has as much to do with my concerns about the long-term health of, of, uh, of Bradley Beal, because that would have been my selection. That absolutely would have been my selection. Um, if I weren't worried about continuity, because I think their depth is better than we thought it would be to start the year. Um, you know, you have Kevin Durant and Devin Booker. How about that three that Devin hits the other night at the end of that Knicks game? Made it look easy. Like he was floating, Devin, just floating. And, it, you know, it's funny. I, I did a, a, a little film with him. I think it was a year ago, maybe a little bit longer than that. Uh, but I was like, something about you being under duress of a defense. He goes, well, I don't know about being under duress. Like he just loves those moments um, and just confident. And I remember asking him, you know, what are you thinking down the stretch of games when it's tied or you're down? He's like, I'm thinking it's time to go home. I'm just like, this kid cracks me up. So you mentioned Ant and the, the sort of telegenic appeal, face of the league kind of appeal. I've had this conversation with people around Devin Booker for the last year and people in our company, I think he's got the same, if he wants it. And that's, I, I think, I don't know that he wants this sort of like fame and limelight as quite as much. Not that Ant is craving it or anything, but you know what I mean? You have to want it a little bit. Like Jokic doesn't want it. Tim Duncan didn't want it. Booker yeah. is not like that, but this guy's got everything. I mean, he's got, he's got everything. He's got the bravado. He's got the guts. He's got the style in terms of his, his game. He's averaging 29 points and nine assists on 50% shooting, 43% from three, eight free throws would be a career high, eight free throw attempts. He's got everything. And I went with Phoenix, despite, I just decided I'm going to be in a good mood about Bradley Beal's back injury and, <laughs> and, and go with the team that would have been my choice at the beginning of the year, despite the fact that they've clearly been the third best team of the groups, the, the, this trio that I've mentioned. I just think what Eric Gordon has given them and what they've gotten they just seem to cobble enough. Like Nasir Little has shown a little bit of a pulse recently, and I liked him. You know, Grayson Allen's been good. He's made shots for them. Uh, you know, Jordan Goodwin is shooting 36% from three. He was a sneaky good um, pickup for them in the Beal deal. I, the center position, like Nurkic is doing just enough. Like, I'm not excited about it. I don't feel comfortable with it. Uh, Chemezi Metu has supplanted Drew Eubanks for now as the backup center. We'll see, but he's looked okay. They're going to have to figure out, like, can we really play Gordon, Beal, Booker, Durant, Nurkic together? Is that going to be defensively viable? They're 18th in defense and fourth in offense, I think. I'm just going to go with the top two guys are so good, yeah. and Durant is like another 50, 40, 90 season waiting to happen. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. I'm going to go that pedigree by a hair over Minnesota, who's got the best record and the best defense. In Oklahoma City, who has the best net rating, top seven on both ends, and just is like they have a, a superstar in Shea. Uh, yeah. I saw Kevin O'Connor at the ringer yesterday, kind of came out and said, hey, Chet Holmgren belongs in the all-star conversation already. I'm like, that's not ridiculous. Like, that's definitely and, not ridiculous. And J-Dub is, is right there with him, getting better every year. 
Now, they have this Josh Giddy situation hanging over their heads, which, look, I mean, I'll just read what Tim McMahon. I didn't see the social media. The social media thing got deleted before I saw it. Tim McMahon said last Friday, the NBA is looking into allegations that the Oklahoma City guard Josh Giddy had an improper relationship with an underage girl, a league spokesman said Friday. That's all I know. I called the team. I called agents. I called the league in the last 46 to 72 hours. I got nothing more than that. So that's all I got. I tried. Maybe I'll get more. Um, but they've been qualitatively awesome. And I guess, like, if I had to make, I don't want, want to make the case against Minnesota because they're awesome and and I was high on them before the season. But if you're telling me, like, second best chance to beat Denver in a playoff series, now they've matched up well against Denver. That's I get, the thing. Yeah, I, 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 being colored by the cat in an early season, you know, cat did a good job initially with Jokic, with with Rudy on the backside. And I'm like, well, could that sustain itself? That and and then you're also colored by what happened in the playoffs last year with the, with those two teams with no Jaden McDaniels, no Nas Reed. You nailed and, it. And sort of that's the way I lean because Jokic is the guy you've you know you've got to deal with that guy. Um, you could pick any of the three. They've all been amazing. Yeah. Um Minnesota may have the highest two-way upside of the three teams. They're up to 13th in offense. Um, I, I guess if there's just... I'm, I Just the collective decision-making of Ant and Cat in big playoff games in terms of just pass or shoot and where and when to pass, it's a lot to ask out of a big man who is prone to some just... whose playoff record is pockmarked to be generous despite the fact that I thought he kind of turned a corner in that Denver series and a guy who's 22. It's just a lot to ask. And his ants passing gets better every week. It's a it lot does. to ask. And it it then becomes a lot on Mike Conley's plate. And maybe they all have the collective ability to do it. And OKC, they're just so young, it's hard to know what to make of them. And I had Andrew Schleck from The Athletic on my podcast last week talking about just the, inf- the infinite optionality that they have in terms of, I think, and you then you heard me say it, like everyone wants the super duper star trade, like just the home, the everything for player X trade. I think they're so good and have so much stuff that I want them to find a smaller upgrade. Like, hey, you can come in and be our seventh guy. You're better than big Jalen Williams. You're more experienced than Case and Wallace, whatever it is. Just cut, and you're a, hopefully a big forward. I, I need some names on that episode. I don't know that they'll find it. I, uh, the right deal, but they're really good. And I, if you ask me to make the case against them, I just kind of shrug my shoulders. I'm like, I don't know. They're awesome. They pick any of them. We didn't, we didn't really even give love to, to Shea. who's coming off that first team, all NBA 30 points, oh, uh, you know, six rebounds, six assists. And I don't remember the setting within which you were making this point, but I have two things. One, one of which is a question, but you know, as you were making this point about Shea, you know, Shea is just so comfortable now. There isn't a spot he can't get to on the floor. There isn't a time where he can't get a shot off. Um, you know, every read is quick. His mind is working as quickly as his game. He's unstoppable in the mid-range with those tough twos in the playoffs become infinitely important. But, you know, Zach, you, you, you reminded me of something that I heard you say on NBA Today and you didn't have time to sort of expand upon your point, but I wondered what you meant by it exactly. And and forgive me, I'm not going to get it verbatim, but one of the things you said was something along the lines of, 
basically analytically, it's proving to be true that if your defense is at least good enough, the offense is a more important determinant of winner. Do you remember saying it? And do you remember? And, and what was like, where is that coming from? I, I just thought so I, I remember that. So like 10 years ago, if you just studied teams that had made the finals for like the last 25 years of NBA history and just had someone smarter than me, like run mathematical models on it and stuff, what they would have spit out then, according to my memory anyway, was an elite defense is a slightly better predictor of championship equity than an elite offense. And I believe in the last 10 years that has flipped where you still need to be very good at both. Like the Pacers are not winning the championship this year, despite having like the greatest offense in the history of mankind. Right. Um, but in elite like Denver being a kind of model of that last year, uh, the Cavs that that won the title and then almost won the title the year after an elite offense is slightly eclipsed in elite defense is like a predictor of championship equity. That's I don't know how that came up in terms of the thunder because they're just kicking butt. At, at both ends of the floor. And Shay, I just like, it's like trying to catch a fish with your bare hands. You just can't do it. You don't know where he is. You don't know how to get it. It's just, it's ridiculous. Yeah. 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 Okay. So that was it. It wasn't specific to the thunder. You were, you were talking about some team and, and, and just, I wanted to, to follow up on that. Can we talk about the Denver Nuggets? One of the questions you had for me was, um, you know, is there any concern about Denver? Yeah. They've so. been like a 500 team for the last eight games or some such thing. <laughs> One and four on their road trip. I thought last night was a massive, I don't, it was massive. You go on the road against a Clipper team that I still think has a great, great depth. And you're sitting there, you just, I just keep waiting on them. Uh, but I won't say I'm an alarmist by nature, but I do. There are slight concerns for me a little bit where Denver is concerned. And I know probably their fan base just sits there and says, Oh, we just need Jamal back. And that's true. Um, and Jokic continues to be absolutely extraordinary. But it, it feels like the two rocks right now are Jokic, obviously, and Contavious Caldwell-Pope. And I know what I'm going to get every single night, and that's, that's comforting as a coach. I came into the league as a big Peyton Watson fan. And we had them early in the season and I was raving about him. And I thought you could see the impact he could have on both ends. He, he made a block in our game against the Lakers where I was just like, you know, a track down in transition. I was like, Whoa, this dude, um, Michael Porter jr. I'm getting more confident and more comfortable because he's starting to play better. The shooting is starting to come for him. Um, Christian Brown has been what I expected and Reggie Jackson, I felt for a while couldn't find any consistency. And then you look at the road trip and you go, well, okay, yeah, they were one and four, but the Rockets are better. The Pels are finding themselves. Orlando clearly is good. And you're like, okay. Um, but Jokic, you know, his usage is way up. I don't know. I, I guess I, I won't say I'm alarmed because I need Jamal back to see it. And you're getting, you're starting to get some traction with some of the other guys, but and let's just give an ode to Reggie Jackson. 35 points, 13 assists, 15 for 19. No Nikola Jokic on the floor. He got absolutely pummeled by his teammate Zubats on a screen as he's trying to turn and, and, and guard somebody with the ball. 
And um, like, but the guy goes for 13 and five in the fourth quarter alone. They had entered the quarter down and DeAndre Jordan, 21 and 13. Absolutely. I just, as, as wins go, I don't know where the standings shake out, but to do that without Jokic, when I don't feel like you had your best stuff as a, as a team for a couple of weeks, I, I just thought it was massive. And I would put the question to you, um, even slight alarm bells at all about Denver? No, I think they have the best starting five in basketball still. It's funny you yeah. mentioned the word comfort with KCP. Uh, I have my my 10 things column coming out this Friday, and I, I refer to him as a security blanket. Just like you just feel good when Contavious Caldwell-Pope is on the floor. It's just like Absolutely. you just feel you just feel like when he's coming from the left corner to take a handoff and, and shoot an 18 footer. It just feels like it's a 100 percent shot. Like I just am so I'm, I'm so happy. Um, yeah. Look, the concern was always depth. Right. And I think at this point, Reggie Jackson, I feel good. Christian Brown, I feel good. That gets me to seven. Between Julian Strother, Zeke Naji, who's been disappointing, Peyton Watson, who's just been okay, and maybe they can get somebody via buyout, although they're they're restricted in terms of they, who they can sign. and They can't sign players if you're bought out and your original salary is over the mid-level exception. They can't sign those players. Uh, maybe they don't. I just feel like that's seven that I feel really good about, and night to night I can get to eight, and that's that's all I need. And I, I feel good enough about it now. It's what um, they did, what they did last year, and they were 29th in bench last year. So, and again, I, I don't have huge concerns, but I just like it's something I monitor. I guess is is what I, I would. No, I would. that's it's you got to monitor. Well, look, if we're not monitoring the Denver, if not monitoring, what are we going to do? Like that's all. I'm, I'm in just monitor mode. And Jokic is. <laughs> I haven't even looked at the MVP yet, and yeah, who's yeah. where and what. But like the guy, you just you just gloss over like oh 35, 16, and twelve. Wait, wait, what? What happens? Like, um, right. okay, T two more rapid fire questions that I wanted from you. I said, pick a team in the middle of the standings in each conference. So let's start east since we did that first. That you just have your eye on, and I said, totally open ended. It could be a team you think is weird, puzzling, about to pop, about to fall off a cliff. Just somebody in the muck that you're like, I I'm curious. So east, who is it? Yeah. So for me, it's the Knicks. Um... And I asked Matt Williams, our great stat man, last night, what, what was the Knicks' strength of schedule to this point? And I believe by one metric he responded, uh, according to, the, to ESPN's BPI, the Knicks have played the hardest schedule. So where do they stand right now? Um, uh, ninth, they're now ninth in terms ninth. of uh, strength I, of schedule. Um, ninth strength of schedule. But where are they in the standings, Zach? Uh, they are – nine and seven tied with the Pacers for sixth in the East. Yeah. I feel like, I don't know. I, I guess I feel like there's room for growth with them. And I, you know, and the reason they're on my mind is I just had them and, and Julius Randall has yet to find his footing. And as I watched that game unfold, one of the things that happened early in the game was tra trap, trap, trap. And his frustration was visible. His turnovers were high. And, you know, there's a moment down the stretch of the half where he gets doubled and he makes a pass to Grimes in the corner um, and Grimes makes a three. And it, was, it felt like a big three. And 
instead of like sprinting to Grimes, he didn't because his frustration level was so high. And I don't know what it is to absorb that double team all the time. But I, I, again, I sort of harp on body language and feel and presence and all these things. It may not matter, but it, but, but where he is concerned, he's, his presence feels massive to me, not only in terms of what he brings, but also his vibe. And I, you know, I could feel the weight of that on, on, on that game. And I wonder what his teammates feel about that. And, um, and so I just feel like he's such a pivotal piece of the Knicks. I'm waiting on him to sort of find his stride as a player and what impact that has on winning um, and the stretches of the season where maybe the schedule lightens if it, if it in fact lightens um, because you know, I've loved what I've seen from Jalen Brunson. He, he, he spends two summers working on, uh, on his three point, um, abilities off the dribble, you know, in, in every environment. And he's been so aggressive from there. It's obviously a point of emphasis with Tom Thibodeau's in terms of shot profile. Um, and, you know, so I'm just waiting on Julius Randle and I feel like the temperature will go up or down on his play and his feel. Am I crazy? No, I mean, look, uh, this is like, are, are we riding the Julius Randle yo-yo? Good year, bad year, good year, bad year. Hopefully not. I don't think he's going to shoot. He's shooting 39% overall, 27% on threes. That'll kick up. He's averaging more assists than he did last season. Yeah. Um. I, I, I'm good with the Knicks. I, I, I think they're about who we thought they were. I think they're probably a little better than their record because of how, Julius Randle has underperformed and Barrett's been out some games and Grimes has been out some games. I think the starting lineup is worth monitoring just because Quentin Grimes has been kind of in a prolonged um, bit of a slump, but I is trust he, their. Is he in a slump or does he, or is the, the way the ball finds him in, you know, tough? Cause it doesn't, it feels like he goes enormous stretches of time without shooting the basketball. It's a tough role. Uh, it's a tough role. And those roles are like when you do get the ball and you don't make a three, like your teammates are like, oh, man, can you just make the threes? And it's like right. it's hard. It's hard to live like yeah. that. But I, I trust their depth and I trust their toughness. And I think they're going to be a top six team in yeah, the sure. East when it's all said and done. Crazy. I think they move up because I do believe in Julius and I do believe he will play better. So my who, who, pick your was, selection. <laughs> my pick was my pick was Cleveland. Um okay who is only nine and eight. Yeah. Uh, now their, their starters have only played 84 minutes together the whole season. They're, they're uh, big four. And really Struess deserves to be included. He's been so good for them. He's only played 93 minutes. It's just underwhelming. It's underwhelming. Most of the numbers are underwhelming. Like for instance, with Mobley, Allen, Garland, Mitchell on the floor, they're minus 11 in 93 minutes, mediocre on both ends. Overall, they're 21st in offense. 14th in defense. You parse the numbers however you want. Almost none of it is bad, but none of it is good. With their two big guys on the floor, they're minus seven, bad on offense, great on defense. And actually surprised me because I thought the last few times I've watched them, the big to big passing and feel between Allen and Mobley has been a little better. The numbers don't, don't don't bear that out. Um, not not yet. But I, I like I like there are some signs burbling that like they're starting to figure a little bit of that out, even though Mobley's got one three the entire season and is shooting not well on mid-range shots. Um, 
the Mobley solo minutes and Allen solo minutes are about even both ways. They just kind of haven't been good enough. And I'm tabling it because of how many, of how few games they've had everyone together. Garland's missed games. Mitchell's missed games. Struce, I mean, Levert missed games. Everyone's missed games. Levert's been great. I'm tabling it, but they're an interesting team to watch for me, DB, because they have, they have snippets where the ball really moves and they have the right balance and flow on offense. And I think Struess has been big for that. He's just flying around. Like what I said about Suggs, doing everything hard. Max Struess does everything hard. Their pace is up. They were last in pace last year. They're average now. And then they have snippets where it's like dribble, 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 Donovan Iso, dribble, 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 pick and roll. Okay, come up here. You get to run a pick and roll. And like they can win like that because Donovan is so good and Garland is so good, although he's been hit or miss. I don't think they can win big like that. And I think watching them day to day kind of figure out their flow and watching the two big guys figure out how to play together is an endlessly interesting thing. Um, I'm tabling the, I'm tempted to say they just haven't been good enough this year because they haven't, but I'm tabling that until we see the full team for longer. Cause I I've liked a lot of what I've seen lately. Now they're scheduled. They've got three winnable games coming up. Hawks, Blazers and the Pistons and oh my god I know you watched that Wizards Pistons game last night DB you couldn't resist I did not watch that nor did nor I watch I think our final question which we're going to have to come up with another one it was the uh who was it the Atlanta Washington game Atlanta Atlanta Indiana um, oh, Atlanta. We'll, we'll get back to that and yeah. then they face Orlando Boston Boston so we'll learn more about Cleveland there same yeah. question in the west mid standings team you got your eye on Oof. This is this was this was a harder one for me. You go first. Well, they lost last night in Utah, but I think um, given how many people have been out and for how many games and who is returning soon, and that C.J. McCollum and Trey Murphy the third are both coming back pretty soon. Yeah, I think for New Orleans to be five hundred, um, and and their their total point differential is now minus two after that loss in Utah last night. So they're a legit five hundred team. They don't have a lineup that's played more than 72 minutes the entire season. Zion doesn't quite look like full Zion yet, but he's getting more Zion-y every game. I, I don't... The chemistry between Ingram and Zion is kind of a mystery. Like, their numbers are good together. They don't seem to actually work together very often. Um, we've seen a lot of point Zion recently, which is, which is I think, good, and less post-up Zion. Um I just the, the influx of shooting they're about to get in McCollum and Murphy and the rotation questions that it presents like Dyson Daniels has been good as a starter. I can't imagine he keeps that role with CJ McCollum coming back. No way. I think eventually the best version of this team has Trey Murphy as a starter. I don't know who comes off the bench in in that scenario, because their starting five seems locked in CJ Ingram, Herb Jones, Zion Valanciunas, who's been outstanding for them. I just think Trey Murphy's too good and will have to start eventually. I just don't know how that puzzle looks. I'm intrigued by the idea of CJ McCollum as the highest paid six man in the NBA. I don't think that they'll really get there. I just, just, I'm keeping an eye on it because I'm yep. quietly impressed that they're 500 given where they've been injury wise. They obviously have a lot of picks. And the ability to be aggressive at the deadline if they want. I just don't know who their target would be. Um, but I just want to like give a little shout to the Pels. 
Would you would you ever take um is Herb Jones too valuable on defense to take him out of the starting lineup? Well, this this is the balance, right? In in the absence of McCollum, they've been starting Dyson Daniels and Herb Jones, obviously. So you have two really good defenders uh, surrounding three guys who are average at best to um, very bad on bad nights. And Zion still just cannot move his feet in space defensively and never gets a defensive rebound. It's one of the most bizarre it things is, in the, in given the league. His, given his offensive rebounding, it's yeah, very but, but you also have some not a lot of non-shooters on the floor in that group. Um, you bring I, CJ back, and suddenly it's like it's her by himself. Like he's the, he's the the only plus defender in the whole lineup. So I I think that's why the Trey Murphy question is so interesting to me because I think Trey Murphy could be a borderline All Star kind of player pretty damn I soon. Couldn't agree more. I think yeah. the guys talented and and two way and two way player like love. And those guys love start. Them. They start and close. And yeah. so. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I think, I think they just need Herb's defense and he's making enough corner threes and he defends everybody. It's like, Oh, Zion, you, you we, we want to hide you on Simone Fontecchio tonight. I'll guard John Collins. Okay. Brandon Ingram, we want you to have an easier assignment. I'll guard the opposing point guard. He guards everybody. I think pick the team. team. Yeah. I'm going to pick the golden state warriors. Um, oh boy. Oh boy. It's well, a whole I kettle of fish. Well, I'm just I, I think I'm surprised. I maybe I shouldn't be surprised. Eight eight and nine. Um you know Draymond's absence obviously looms large. He's so pivotal to what they do on both ends of the floor. So many conversations and discussions are around Clay Thompson. Um It's interesting to me that the the story has flipped. What's their home record this year? This is the complete opposite from from last year. Is that the case? Yeah, their they, home record. They're three yeah. and six home. I just keep waiting for them to find traction, um, Zach, and and I'm not seeing those signs. And I don't know what the most surprising aspect of it is. Um, but I but I. I'm just not prepared to give up on them for so many reasons. The brilliance of Stephen Curry, the, the, the consistent winning they have done with those three guys. Um, I, I, yeah. I, yeah, it just, and if, I guess what's, what's in my mind is, are we watching the end of an era or are they going to start to vault up to the, you know, even to the middle of the pack? So they were in my second tier of contenders to start the season. I said on NBA Today last week, I would now drop them a tier. Like, I'm concerned. I will not bury them until they're gone uh, because they've done too much and won too big too recently. But their their play has been alarming to the point that they're now down a tier and probably other teams have leaped them, and they've got to prove more. I If you're asking me on, on the two extremes that you just posed, is are we watching the end? Or are they going to explode and pop back up a tier or two in the next two months? If you force me to bet, and I don't want to bet, I think it's more likely that we're watching the end. And wow. I, that doesn't mean that we're watching. And that means if you're forcing me to pick between the two extremes, the truth is going to be somewhere in the middle, most likely. I'm picking that one. That said, I've liked Moody's play. Kaminga has been all right. Saric has been like, they're so like wildly dependent on Saric. It's almost crazy. 
Um, Draymond will come back and be Draymond. Still one of the best defenders in the league. Still the best passer on the team. Well, now that Chris Paul's there, I guess I have to take that back. Still a genius player. Clay and Wiggins just haven't been good enough. They'll be better by default. Um, so there's this team will 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 pop. Like they will they will go on a run where they look better than this. I just am I'm concerned that the ceiling isn't quite where I thought it was going to be this year. As as incredible as Stephen Curry has been, and just beyond what you could possibly expect from a guy that size at that age. I think I'm, the, I'm, the, I'm worried. I'm worried. I, I'm worried too. And I think the thing that's most surprised me are the, you know, the Wiggins and the clay piece that has most surprised me. There's nights where I just feel leather lethargy from, from Andrew Wiggins, like the stretches of play. I just think he's too good to have these get a rebound. How about start with getting like 12 rebounds in a game? Forget the jump <laughs> shot. Like just give me, give me like 12 rebounds in a two blocks. He's not blocking shots. He's not getting steals. He's not getting rebounds. He's not getting free throws. Give me the energy. He's doing nothing. That's, that's what I said. The word I use when I look at him is lethargy. It's like, I don't, there's, I'm not getting anything. And I, I'm, I'm judging him up, up against the guy who helped them win that last title. And the defense and the critical rebounds he got in that run to that championship and how integral he was to their success. And then obviously last year happened, the personal side of things got to him. And, you know, and Clay Thompson, is he just, you know, is his level going to be different overall as a player? Um, But that's the team I think I'm really intrigued on. And I think it's just because when you watch a team that's had nothing but success in the era in which you've watched them, uh, it, it's been jarring. The two, two <laughs> mo- the two most jarring things have been Milwaukee's defense, which is coming around, and what I've seen from Golden State. Those are the two most shocking things I think I've seen. Well, and a team that's just earned pride, like they've earned pride, yeah. and you've yeah. seen it in Clay Thompson flashing the four fingers at Devin Booker last <laughs> season or whenever that was. Yeah. I, I think you've seen it in Draymond, just sort of like. Like a lot of these outbursts to me have the air of like, I don't quite know how to reconcile the fact that we're not just beating the crap out of everybody anymore. Like we used to, Um, but there's, there's greatness in here that I'm not willing. I'm not burying them until it's over, but I'm, I'm docking them a tier. The the last question I was going to ask you was the fun one. Like, did you enjoy the 157, 152 Pacers Hawks game from a week ago or whenever that was? Cause I think that's, a little bit of a Rorschach test for NBA fans. Maybe it divides by age. Uh, we are both uh, older <laughs> than the median NBA fan. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I found myself watching that game thinking this is like eating um, pizza topped with ice cream topped with M&Ms where it's, it's like it tastes good for a few bites and but i'm also like this is not as this is like almost borderline not serious basketball anymore like can you can one team try to have a defensive answer could just is there any ability that you have anywhere to put some size switchability and both coaches are like how about no how about we just play all <laughs> wings guards and forwards jalen johnson's injury by the way a big deal for the hawks big. we didn't touch on that um, fabulous and at the end of the game, I felt like hungover. I felt like I I, I don't feel good about myself. I don't feel good about how I've behaved. Yeah. Um, I need to sleep in a little bit. 
I just didn't, I didn't, I felt gluttonous in a bad way. I just, defense, you still need to play defense. And I just felt like that game was two teams that are like, can we just have a carnival for a couple hours and see who wins in the end? I'm the student who did not uh, prepare for the test on this one because I I have to confess I did not see that game. Um, so I that's hysterical, the description, though. Perfect. We've all lived those moments where you've had way... Now, I don't even... I didn't even look at the box score. It felt like Tyrese Halliburton hit 17 three-pointers. I mean, just... Well, he, he He is... That guy's ridiculous. He's getting in the conversation for when you start listing the five best offensive players in the league. Offense. Now, they've got no defense at all. And, in fact, they've just decided, why don't we just start Buddy Heald and just completely light our defense on fire? <laughs> and Miles Turner has, has not been quite the same, I would say, um, putting up. But he's got he's just on an island. He's just like, what? which of these holes am I supposed to put? I'm only one man. I can only be in so many places. But Tyrese Halliburton, if you start listening to five best offensive players, I'm not going to do it here. Jokic is one, and then you go down from there. Um, he's in the conversation, and he might already be on the list. Like That dude is absolutely ridiculous. And one of my favorite celebrations going in the NBA, have you seen this thing where he hits a couple threes in a row and he jogs back on defense, but he's skipping? He's like bouncing and bouncing. Yes. He's got the arms yes. going up like this. Yes. Just I and again, like the purest thing is like, can you just get back on defense? But I'm like, dude, you just hit your 18 three of the half. Skip, skip. And there's a joy to how he plays anyway, and there's a joy he makes his teammates feel where he's just like skipping back. I like it. I'm all in for it. Well, he's been absolutely brilliant, and uh, it's so funny. You know, you think back to the trade where people were up in arms about you know giving him to to Indiana. Uh, but you're nuts. You needed Sabonis, and that Sacramento's done well with their trade, and Fox needed the ball. But he's absolutely – he's been brilliant. Um, I love the skip. I, I absolutely love the skip. Have yeah. we exhausted our topics? How did we do? We did very well, and the Pacers are another interesting team because they got a guy, and they got to figure out what else they have long-term around that guy. But we did very well. And to, look, there's just – I don't ask you to come on that much because you're you're you got too much to do and you got too much going on and I don't want to ever pester you. So when I get you on, I'm like I'm because she's I'm not letting her off the Zoom until we've spent a lot of time together. So I'll reach out to you after another two months, Doris, and we'll do it again. But I look forward to seeing you at a game soon. And just look, I don't need to just second to none. It's a joy having you on. Thank you for lending me some time. I had a ball, I had a ball, and I, I you know I can't wait for two months from now because. The league will probably feel totally different. Let's you snapshot the standings right now so that we we revisit it, okay? I will. And Milwaukee, despite us, will probably go 21 and two <laughs> in that span of time. Doris Burke, everybody, thank you. All right, let's bring on our Dave McMenamin to talk about a team that worrisomely for them did not come up at all, really, in my conversation circling the league with Doris Burke. Dave, the Lakers, fresh off a, trying to do some math, 44-point beatdown at the hands of the red-hot Philadelphia 76ers who made every three-pointer, single-handedly plummeting the Lakers' scoring margin for the season from a nice plus something to minus 33. Minus 33. They are 10-8, and 8, 25th in offense. 
Yeesh. 13th in defense with the 21st net rating in the league. They are plus 59 with LeBron on the floor and in a trend that has no signs of abating. Minus 92 in 302 minutes with LeBron on the bench, which is about like losing every game by 15 points. Um, oof. You know, what's funny, Dave, going into that game against Philly, I had seen the last few Lakers. I've seen a lot of Lakers games. I thought they had been playing pretty well. Beat Cleveland on the road. That was a quality win. There's a certain fight to this team that I like. LeBron is obviously, uh, we're all out of words to describe what he's doing at his age and just having broken the all-time minutes played uh, record, regular season and playoffs combined. AD's been, you know, up and down on offense, uh, but really good on defense all season. Whew. In the aggregate, where are we with this team? Where what what is this team? What are they? What's going on? What like I, I don't I don't I don't know what to think of them. Well, you bringing up the net rating stat now being a negative for a Lakers team that is still above five hundred, despite that terrible drubbing by the Philadelphia 76ers, brings to mind the analogy that LeBron talked about his team earlier in the year comparing them to the Pittsburgh Steelers even though they were on the right side of 500 he pointed out all the negative stats that the Steelers had well what did the Steelers do in response to that they fired Matt Canada <laughs> and I'm not certain to say that anyone on Darvin Ham's coaching staff should be on the chopping block but we are now close to a quarter of the way through the season and there are some just curious trends that continue. Now, I think we have to start in all capital letters when talking about the Sixers game. They were missing all of their wings, all of those big, burly, switchable defenders that they've cultivated since last year at the trade deadline in Jared Vanderbilt and Rui Hachimura in Cam Reddish. None of them were anywhere to be found on the court at the Wells Fargo Center, and that puts a defense – uh, behind the eight ball and the defensive strategy going into last night's game was we're going to double Joel Embiid, send him pressure, make him be a willing passer. Of course he was. It led to 22 three-pointers. It led to 10-plus assists. But going into the game, Patrick Beverly, three for 22 from three for the season. He goes four for eight. Going into the game since the trade with the Clippers, Marcus Morris, Four for 12 as a sixer from three. He goes four for five. And so you see these clips circulating in the third quarter. LeBron James kind of throwing his hands up and looking towards the bench. It's one of exasperation that the, the game plan blew up in their face. But sometimes when you're dealing with all these guys out of the lineup, not to mention, you know, Gabe Vincent, we haven't really seen this year, uh, not to mention, uh, you know, working in a rookie uh, Jalen Hood-Shafino, finally healthy after having a, a teammate run into his knee in the preseason and Alex Fudge and finally being cleared to play. Uh, a lot going on off the stretch. Uh, There's a long-winded response, but there is a lot going on that led to that loss. Coming off a stretch, six games and nine nights, followed by a holiday, followed by uh, you know a road trip away from L.A. for five days. Sometimes you just – it blows up in your face – and um, I think Anthony Davis's response was the most prudent one last night. You move on from this one. You flush it. We'll watch some film, but this is not who we are.
the word flush was all I was thinking about about starting from about the time the third Marcus Morris three went in. I don't care about last night's game, Dave. I don't care. I don't care. I mean, even let's say they lost last night by five instead of by 44. So their net rating for the season would be plus six, essentially like indicative of a 500 team. That's what I worry about. And what I worry about in particular was, is 25th in offense. This team was a mediocre offense last season, regular season, late regular season, postseason, particularly a mediocre half-court offense. That has continued. Their half-court points per possession is almost exactly the same now as it was last season. Offense tends to trend up, so maybe you could frame that as a good sign. Their transition uh, game, which was their engine last season, has sputtered a bit this year, at least in terms of efficiency. They are, despite the fact that they pride themselves on being a physical interior oriented team, even though they play Anthony Davis, almost not mostly at center. There's some Anthony Davis, Jackson Hayes minutes that I don't love. They are among the very worst rebounding teams in the entire NBA. Some of that is what you're saying. Their bigger wings have missed a a decent amount of time and, and they were tiny last night with some of these three guard lineups, but they are 29th in offensive rebounding ahead of only the wizards. And who, congratulations to the Wizards, who won the toilet bowl last night against the Pistons. So I can't really make any jokes about how being ahead of only the Wizards is kind of just like being dead last in the NBA. (laughs) That would be the Pistons, I guess, at this point. Um, So, I, I, you know, and look, I did the LeBron on-off thing. Um, I, I just come down to two things when I look at this team. And I was optimistic about this team at the beginning of the season. I remain weirdly like semi optimistic about them right now. Um, but I watch them and I, and I, I think number one, the offense just isn't good enough and shows no signs of being good. I like by good enough. I mean, this team considers itself a championship contender. The offense isn't good enough. It was just good enough for them to squeak into the conference finals last year and they got rolled and connected to that. I just don't think D'Angelo Russell, Cam Reddish and Torian Prince is just it's just not a viable starting threesome around the two tent pole stars on the team. It's just not dynamic enough. It's not good enough. Um, which is my long way of saying I think even the optimistic end game for the Lakers as they are presently playing and constructed at least is I think they're about what they were last year, which is if things hit right, they're a good team that's not a great team. And so I am like you. I heard you on the Hoop Collective last week. I I do want to see, like, I thought Hachimura would be a much bigger part of the team from Jump Street, and I think he will be eventually. I think eventually they're also just going to need to start Reeves just because of what I said about those three guys. I I think you may just end up going back to that. If I can get some juice with Reeves, Hachimura, LeBron, Davis, and then figure out the fifth spot and then fill out my death with Vincent, Vanderbilt, who I I just I do have issues with Vanderbilt being built into this like, well, they're missing a starter. You mean you mean the starter that got played off the floor in the postseason because he can't shoot? I'm okay, sure. Um, but he'll help the depth. And 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 I like the Max Christie kid, I think is pretty good. Um, I I I do think I'd like to see all of that. And and there's a higher upside when if if we get Reeves and Hachimura involved more, but I just don't I don't know what what like Again, Dave, they're only three teams take fewer threes. They're 26 and three point percentage. 
and 25th in mid-range jump shooting. You know what Anthony Davis is shooting on long twos? Anemic. 15%. He's 3 of 10 from 3 after the preseason. He should take 6 a game declaration from Darvin Ham. The jump shooting just it it appears to just be gone. And I, well, I know I you just, don't want to talk about the Sixers game, Zach, but like so last night, Pat Beverly going into the game shooting seventeen percent from three. Oh, so he's the, not going to shoot fifteen percent, but I'm I'm just saying like, no, no, like but my days, point being like the Lakers had scouting team, the the coaching staff put in a viable game plan based on what they were dealing with. It just blew up in the face. Uh, you know, if Nick Nurse uh, was telling his guys to leave Anthony Davis open from long two, he'd probably be doing some good coaching. Uh, and that's why the confluence of events last night is still confounding. I understand you don't really want to stick there. Uh, the biggest my, thing my, is... My question is, like, I think this is a good team. I'm optimistic about this team. There's a toughness and a fight, and and I love the defense. I think their defense will ascend higher than it is now. I think they, they proved something to me that sticks in winning two playoff rounds last year, and really, dis- not dismantling, but they were clearly a better team than the Warriors, and I thought the Warriors were going to win that series. That ba- That's banked with me. There's a, there's a there's an equity that's banked with me. I think this is a good team. I'm struggling to see how they can really be a con- like a great team that can win four playoff series, three playoff series, four playoff series, with an offense that is just in the mud. And so I'm wondering, internally, like 25th is bad. It, it, like, what is the roadmap there? What is the hope that that something like they don't need to be great, but they got to be better than this? Well, one, and this does not make them unique among the teams in the NBA, but they don't practice uh, hardly at all. And some of that is you have a 21 year veteran who's a 38 year old superstar who there's just not that many opportunities, especially when you're already trying to cut minutes for him and that hasn't worked during the season, you're trying to keep him off his legs. And if you're having a practice without LeBron, are you really practicing and coming together as a team? No, you're not. And then beyond that, when you have four of your top nine players in rotation out, you're going to be practicing with Zach Peterson and Micah Fraction. I mean, they're great player development coaches, but that's not going to get, <laughs> that's not going to get the full attention of the guys who are in the middle of a practice. So it's really hard when you're trying to put in a new offense that Darvin Ham's been trying to do with this five out and and kind of empower Anthony Davis to run it when you don't have the chance to build the reps in practice or in the games because, again, the guys who have been missing. And the five out, part of, I believe, part of the problem they've had on second-chance opportunities, both certainly generating it because they're last in the league in scoring off second-chance opportunities – is the five-out spacing. And then on the other end, again, I think that's more uh, – they are giving up the most second-chance points in the league. So it's basically you know, 20 to 10, roughly. So there's 10 points a game. Uh, and that's I think, comes down to the personnel. But there's 10 points carved out right there. Here's another 10 points I'll give you. The first quarter, 12 out of their 18 games, they've been trailing at the end of the first quarter. Eight of those 12 games, it's by double digits. Yeah, it's funny you mention it because I'm looking up last night. And sometimes I, I watch games and I, the score is not my primary concern as I'm watching the game. I'm looking for trends and things. And you just look up and you're like, yeah, this is kind of a fun Sixers. Like, oh, it's 30-17. Like, what happened? Like, I thought this was kind of a close game. Anthony Davis, like, started off 
you know, into it. I scored like eight out of the first 11 points or something like that for the Lakers. And then it's an 18 to two run or something like that from the Sixers. And you're like, what happened? So 10 points in the first quarter, 10 points, second chance points. And then the three point shooting, they are dead last in the league in threes made per game. And they're 28th in three point percentage. So there are problem areas. Okay. LeBron was saying we have a lot to figure out to get better. There's some things right there that you can figure out. Uh, can you get better with your full roster, your full personnel? I think you can. Uh, will you magically get better at three-point shooting? Probably not. Uh, will those three guys that you mentioned, Cam, Torian Prince, and D'Angelo Russell, be good enough with their other top two guys or top three guys, if you include Austin Reeves, to push past uh, a in-sync Denver team, an in-sync Phoenix team? Uh, uh, you know, I don't know who else you want to include. Maybe even Minnesota or OKC, if you believe them that much I, I, already. I was going to say, I, I think part of what's happened to the Lakers is a couple of the old Lions of the West look more rickety than um, anticipated. The Warriors, eight and nine, struggling, all, just tons of issues, obviously. Doris talked about a lot of them. The Clippers just yay we beat the spurs a couple of times in the rockets at home the rockets haven't won a a road game yet we figured out the hard oh no we didn't we still got some figuring out to do but minnesota's legit i think oklahoma city's legit and phoenix to be where they are given their injury issues like there's a it's just the lakers have to get real good to do this i think they're i think they can get good I just look at that offense and I'm like, I just, it's just been stuck in mud now for two years. And as great as LeBron is and as, as good as AD is on most nights, I just, I, I'm giving it 15 to 20 more games with the full, I want to see the full. I, I, again, I think Hachimura should be a much bigger part of the rotation. I hope, I, I, I think that part, I, I think they probably hope that too. But if, if we get to, what is it, almost December, if it's January 1, this team is 23rd in offense. I wonder, I, I'm, I put this to you, like how aggressive do they start looking for offensive upgrades via trade? We all know what they have to offer. It's one first round pick and Russell and Hachimura, whatever the matching salary has to be. We all know who's available. Um, I haven't sensed a great appetite to go in those directions quite yet. Like internal development has been the buzzword, but Again, this team was not a good offensive team last year, and that's what ultimately undid them. I'm giving it 15, 20 more games. If they're still 23rd, do they begin to like like look up the Chicago Bulls office numbers? Like what what do we do here? It's going to take that much more time before they get their head there. And part of it is they want to see what they have. Part of it is yeah, we're talking about Chicago right now. Uh, as a potential, and everyone is looking at Portland as potential, and Toronto Jeremy as Grant, potential. Yep. Jeremy Grant playing sneakily very well, by the way. Uh, and, and you know, Toronto is a team that's been circled as having those pieces that potentially could be pried away. But there could be another team or two in that conversation come January fifteenth. Um, I erase the circle around Toronto because if if the Raptors choose to make Ananobi and Siakam available, um. The Lakers are not going to be able to win those bidding wars. So I I said this to Richard Jefferson on NBA today last week. Can we just like let's let, let's a let's let's let the people in the in Canada get better trade return than that in our fake trades. 
I saw you say that too, and it, it should have sunk in. And it was a good point at the time. But okay, fine. We'll, we'll take them off the table. But we could be talking about another team that right now may have visions of still making a run that they could look now, different. Now, I will say, you want Gary Trent Jr., that's a different conversation. Yeah. He can stay up there with the loonies and the toonies. I don't know if that's going to be the answer to what the Lakers need, but um, – so that's way, part of there, it, right? There's there's nothing wrong with just being a good team. There's it's not like I'm sitting here faulting the Lakers. They did well to dig themselves out of the Westbrook mess they created. They're a good solid team. They're 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 fun, they're competitive, they they're fun to watch. Like I just this is LeBron guess, in year 21. He don't want to just be a good team. That's what's wrong, right? You have how much you believe in LeBron um as still being a difference maker. I certainly think based on what we see in the regular season, you throw in his mind picking apart a, a team in a seven-game series uh, with two working feet, unlike he had for the majority of his comeback last year, uh, could certainly be a difference maker. And if AD can kind of catch that wave that he was on for the second half of last year, um, you almost owe it to those two pieces to put you what you have towards the center of the table to, to make something happen, especially because all due respect to Denver, Denver's really good. They could very much win it all. And all due respect, I would say that maybe Boston in, in the East, the, the two teams I would put a shoulder above everybody else. There's nobody that's a head and shoulder above anybody else. And, and that should be a motivating factor enough combined with where LeBron and AD are at to if you can make something happen make it happen um i'm just not sure that the name we've i don't know is jeremy grant that name is zach levine that name like i don't know if that's what it is um uh, we'll have to see and i think a player that we've only mentioned in passing uh, when we talk about their offensive woes and maybe just asking a lot of a guy who was you know the fourth or fifth option last year on that finals team for the miami heat but but gabe vincent um he's missing the catch and shoot uh, option that, that they haven't been able to exploit um, without him on the court. He would be perhaps one of outside of LeBron, uh, one of their better players at pushing the pace and, and getting into the paint. Um, if you watch D'Angelo Russell, uh, when he gets into the paint, it's just a different type of style. It's, it's not paint to great. It's not getting I, I would... to the paint and collapse the defense and spray. It's, you know, kind of generously like, describe it as languid. It's just nice and soothing, like ba, 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 scoop shot. And it never gets to the line, never gets there. It's, it's languid. It's smooth in its own. It's like a smooth, slow wow, flowing a stream. Really pretty English reverse layup. And you're like, how'd that sneak just over the rim and kiss off the glass and go in? But it's not. That's what I mean that. by dynamism. Like Torian Prince has been fine. Everything you could ask for, Torian Prince has done. You know, he's shooting. Well, he's not shooting well for three. He's thirty percent, but that'll get better. I mean, he's he's doing what he does. D'Angelo Russell is like seventeen the a game on, are good, okay. on good shooting. Reddish is like this is more than anyone could have dreamed they get from Reddish. It's just not dynamic enough at the highest levels, which leads into my next question: What's the internal temperature take on Austin Reeves, who's averaging fourteen a game? Fine, forty six percent. Fine. 34% on threes. 53% on twos. Five assists, five rebounds. You like the assists. Sometimes he's making snappy passes. 
sometimes it feels like his pick and rolls are a lot of east-west, like a lot of effort and not going anywhere. Um, Like, oh, oh, let me go here. And it's just like, did you cover any ground? And he's coming off the bench, which is is a decision that I frankly kind of surprised me. What the the idea of this team becoming a good to great team was legit third member of something like a big three. He hasn't been that yet. Where are we on him? It's worked better than I think I anticipated him coming off the bench. It came at a time when Darvin Ham suffering from PTSD for what happened in the last season where they're, they have a two and 10 start. All of a sudden the Lakers are 0 and three on a road trip. He feels like he has to do something and it, it works with that jump start win in Phoenix. Cam Reddish is the big shot in the starting lineup and Austin Reeves almost because he is the adult in the room who can handle stuff. You can thrust him into that role and he'll work it out. He's not going to pout. He's not going to um, stop being a good locker room guy. He's, it could take him some time, but he's going to work it out. And he started to show it that it was working. He had double-digit assists against uh, the, the Cavaliers on this road trip and was getting more guys involved. And I think figuring out the balance of when he needs to call his own number versus when he needs to spread the floor. He has had the behind-the-eight-ball uh, part of the season of coming a little worn down from last season in USA. He would admit that. And then just a little more information on him, more tape. He was not surprising anybody anymore. Um, and a lot of big bodies being thrown at him, um, w- making him work to even get the ball up the court sometimes, running uh, point, and then certainly on the defensive end, targeting him. And if you have him sharing the court, I know, you know Jared Vanderbilt, but I'm not going to try to say you're wrong that he didn't have a lesser role in the playoffs last year, but – when you had Jared Vanderbilt out there and when you had Anthony Davis out there and he shared the court with those two guys and activated LeBron, his defensive woes don't necessarily look so quite as pronounced as they've looked this year. So uh, he's, he's scuffling. He's getting there. He still passes the eye test. He makes the right play. He is appreciated by LeBron and AD. They think that if it comes down to it in the fourth quarter of a game, He's going to make the right play. LeBron's going to pass him the ball in a tie game at 100-100, and he's going to make that three, three feet beyond the arc in, in a big home game that they recently had. Like That's the player that they still believe in. And, you know, again, almost because he's not the squeaky wheel, he may not come right back into the starting lineup. Um, but I think he's going to keep helping Darvin Ham and the rest of those players figure out their footing as they wait for more guys to come back. Certainly, you know, if we're going to talk about potential trades, we're not, we're not including Austin Reeves name. Well, that's why I keep trades. People keep asking me what, how could the Lakers get Zach Levine with Austin Reeves? I, th- I don't remember who asked me last week on the, on my own podcast. Of course, I don't remember. And I was like, you, you can, they're not trading Austin Reeves for Zach Levine. Like, I don't even think they would do that deal straight up considering the salaries, even if it were even allowed. Um, like I said, I haven't sensed a great appetite for it, but you know, we'll see. And the other names that keep coming up, like Colin Sexton keeps coming up. I'm like, okay, like that's not changing my life. It's it's okay. Um, my I again, defense, like you mentioned, Austin Reed's defense, and it's easier to move him around when Vando's on the floor. I defense is not my concern. Like the Lakers are gonna be a good defensive team with Anthony Davis out there. It's not my concern. Um, 
just offensively, I, I got to see a little more, a little more juice um, from them, which like I've been fairly defensive of Anthony Davis for a long time, peaking in last season's playoffs where I just thought he got no credit or not enough credit for being a huge defensive force, the best defense player in the playoffs. He's averaging 21 a game and the jump shot is gone, but let's just assume it's, it's just gone. He has been inconsistent. It is sometimes I get why fans are frustrated by wait a second. You had 14 in the first quarter and you were like not heard from again for the rest of the game, or you had 14 last night, 35 tonight. What is the internal conversation like about like, how can we just get to a point where his offense where his scoring production, which we sorely need feels more like a given and less like a, what are we getting tonight? Well, some of it is you're probably going to go away from this five out. You're going to, give him more post touches. You're going to activate him that way uh, to not only like get him into the game and get his confidence rolling, um, but maybe get into their bench because he is pretty good at drawing fouls. Um, and so he's going up against a lesser big man um, and not too many teams in this league have two bigs that can really handle his full offensive repertoire. That's going to help. And again, when he draws criticism and he just is one of those lightning rod players in today's NBA that's going to get it, um, I think he recognizes that it doesn't really affect his, his confidence. But uh, you need to give him the ball. He is not a guard. He does not bring the ball up the court. He, you know, Part of the appeal of the five out was as the trailing big, you initiate the offense at the top of the key with the ball in his hands, which is something that he wanted. But if he's not cooking with all the ingredients because they've had so many injuries, uh, I think you might need to strip things down, get him in the post. If he gets fouled, he's shooting 86% from the free throw line this year. That's going to help you on many levels. And again, uh, give you another player that gives you some consistency night in, night out basis because it's really been LeBron. Uh, there was a stretch of about 10 games where Christian Wood was was pretty solid for this team. Got to give him credit for it, but that was 10 games ago. Uh, and, and Austin has, has been pretty consistent after that little four or five game slump to begin the year. But you got to get AD going because the rest of these guys, whether it's the night in, night out basis of the injuries or whether some of the guys they're relying on are still relatively new, uh, they're not going to give you the, that consistency. And so, um, you know, I, I'm sure Mike D'Antoni is covering his ears right now somewhere because, oh, I'm calling for post-ups in 2023 NBA basketball. But I think that's going to help Anthony Davis. I'd like, yeah, I, I'd love to imagine Mike D'Antoni doing anything but thinking about post-ups right now, enjoying, <laughs> enjoying life. So, I mean, part of the reason, part of the appeal of playing AD at center has long been unlocking the LeBron Davis pick and roll because if he's playing center, he's probably being guarded by a center. And if he is being guarded by a center, the defense is less likely to just switch that play. Whereas if they're at the three and the four, it's one of the reasons that play has never quite taken off as the consistent, just like death weapon that people thought it was going to be. And this year, like you'll still see some teams switch it quite a bit. They're only running 19 pick and rolls per 100 possessions between them, which is about the same as Dame and Giannis, which is to say not that many. Part of it is that LeBron just is old. Like, he can't do that 40 times. 
I, you know who I think about when I watch LeBron on some nights is like a super duper souped up version of, and again, super duper can get you 30 a game almost, but he has segments of the game where he reminds me of old Jason Kidd, where Jason Kidd could like not even encroach beyond the three point arc on some possessions and yet control the entire possession because he was like playing quarterback, but also in basketball and LeBron will do like, he'll just dribble the ball out there, see how the help moves around and then throw this like a laser to the rim. But anyway, you know, in a lot of ways, the, the like LeBron's pick and roll with Reeves has been really good, both as either way you do it. Um, you mentioned getting AD the ball more. I, I think on those pick and pops, when he's given space like that, I like when he fills it like pump and drive and use your speed. I like when he when he runs pick and roll. The numbers don't say it's very good so far this season, but I think it's a good way to get him going. He ran run with LeBron as the screener last night, one with Reeves as a screener. It's it's been he's dabbled in it over the years. Um and his post numbers, he's posting up, I looked it up on second spectrum today, six times per hundred possessions, which is the lowest of his Lakers career. 1.25 points per possession when he shoots or passes to a guy directly and that guy shoots. That's a really, really good number. I just there he's just got to be a little more consistent. But you know, again, I'm wait, I'm just waiting to see on the offense. I want to see more Reeves, more re on Reeves. You start games, finish games, come off the bench, whatever. Like when it's go time, as presently constructed, he's just gonna have to play 30 to 35 minutes a game. Like I just don't see any way around that. And the the Reeves LeBron Davis trio, which is slightly negative for the season, is gonna have to play a ton. And it's just easier to do that. It's hard to play 35 minutes coming off the bench. It just is. And so I don't know. I just it's been it's been a kind of a wild ride through 18 games. I I I'm I'm I I guess I would say overall zooming out, I'm a little a little less optimistic about their like multi-round, triple round playoff viability than I was two months ago. I coming into the year, I, I said that they they have a pretty high basement, but I didn't see them having as high of a ceiling as some of the other contenders out there. Generally, I still do that. Um, could be proven wrong. I still think this team could catch a rhythm. Again, they won something like 18 out of 24 games uh, leading up to the sweep uh, of the Denver Nuggets. 18-6 over 24 games in the NBA. Games that matter down the stretch with, with LeBron not healthy. Games with LeBron not totally like that's something that I, I still feel like they they can catch. Um, but there's some stuff to figure out. There's some status to figure out. Um, and listen, LeBron's going to be upset after that game in Philadelphia. Forty four points, largest margin of defeat in his entire career. He almost has to be that upset and terse um, if he is what he's about. Uh, but it doesn't mean that on the other side of things, they can't figure stuff out and, and cooler heads prevail and recognize, yeah, you know, hey, we're missing some guys here. Let's get this stuff figured out. But, like, you know, so, on some level, and I have someone, I'm just like you, I appreciate Anthony Davis, kind of the way Austin Reeves said it the other day. If you're just looking at the box score and seeing how many points he scores, you're missing a lot. Uh, but, but, Going in Philadelphia, Paul Reed calls him a flopper. Paul Reed, basketball Paul, nice little role player for the Sixers. Like, 
I, I like what he does. I watched him play a lot this summer. Uh, Rico Hines runs uh, at UCLA and, and, and was always one of the more competitive guys in the court. And, and I, and I love that part of his game, but he doesn't belong in the same, uh, you know, zip code when it comes to the basketball talent of uh, Austin Reeves, if not the same continent. Anthony uh, Davis. Anthony Davis. No, Davis. excuse me. Anthony Davis. Maybe both, but Anthony Davis for sure. <laughs> Anthony Davis. He's talking trash on that. And then after the game, and Anthony obviously played okay in the first quarter and then was kind of a, a nothing uh, impact from there. After the game, Joel Embiid, who had just beaten him, I think, for six for the sixth time out of the last seven contests, him and AD are yucking it up on the court, joking about some foul call that, that AD, uh, AD got called on because uh, Joel kind of hugged him and still managed to get the whistle. Sometimes optics matter. You know, if you just sign this big deal, you're going to be paid to be the face of the franchise for the Lakers. Just come out and, like, smack some guys around sometimes. Like, come out and, like, I'm going to put it on you. And we saw that with that stretch the team had last year, that was what was happening. Wilt Davis, that was the nickname uh, Darvin Ham gave him. Some of that would go a long way with this. Let's let's settle down with throwing Wilt's name out there, Darvin. Um, Look, for some teams, the analysis is pretty simple. For the Lakers, they just don't score enough points. That's all it is. Like you just like one way or another, the offense has got to be better. And now we're going to all go on an adventure together for the next month to see if when they get their full population of players back, the offense gets better enough that their defense can carry them where they want to go. And uh, we'll all be reading you and listening to you, Dave McMenamin, uh, currently on the road. Where, where do they did they go home after this? We got Denver. Then it's Denver. Geez, we have Detroit and then Oklahoma City, then back to Los Angeles, and then coming up. On either Wemby. Monday or Tuesday night. Oh, IST. IST. And that is the Lakers' panacea thus far this year. They've looked excellent in four uh, play uh, in-season tournament wins. And maybe they, they, they sniff that cold, hard cash in Vegas, beat the Suns, get to uh, Vegas, and, uh, you know, all, all, all is kumbaya and happy again. Dave McMenamin, thank you, sir. Enjoy the IST. Enjoy Detroit. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Thanks, Zach.